I'm going to continue this morning looking at our series in James, uh, the letter that James, uh, one of the brothers of Jesus, sent to this early church, early Christians. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. So let's just bow our heads. Father God, as we open your word, we want to hear your truths. Uh, We want to know uh, from scripture, Father, how to live our lives to be disciples of Jesus. And I pray this morning that uh, what I, I draw out, what I bring, will be of you. And Father, that which isn't, I pray that will be struck. And uh, Lord, just pray this morning that we would have a time where we will hear from you through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, Paul Carr uh, spoke about true wisdom. I wonder if I've got, have I got a PowerPoint at all? Is it up? There it is. Oh no, that's not the one, sorry. Ben, you're in charge here, mate, aren't you? You know what you're doing. Um, So Paul Carr spoke about uh, true wisdom. And uh, he drew to a conclusion the problem of sin in the world and our lives that hinder true wisdom that's attained from God. So we're going to be looking at fights and quarrels amongst believers. A lovely light subject for the 24th of July as we head into the summer months Um, Paul finished at the end of his sermon with just a statement from James 3, uh, 13, and it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And he kind of finished there. That's what he's kind of, what he was talking about. And as I was kind of like going back and reading, you know, you should always read a little bit before, a little bit after if you're, if you're reading a passage of scripture. Um, verse 14 says, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. And verse 15 says, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I'm glad he didn't finish with that last week, because I think everyone would have gone out going, oh, blimey. (laughs) But actually, it sets the scene lovely for what James then goes on to write in James 4. I think that verse, part in verse 14, is a bit of a precursor for this passage that I'm about to read from James. So I'm going to read it. So if you've got, I'm reading from one of the church Bibles. So if you haven't got a Bible, then I'm sure someone like Andy and Ben can give you one. Thanks. Uh, Would you like a Bible, Martin? Uh, But if obviously you've got them on your phones or you brought one with you, then fantastic. It's rather, uh, it's 12, 12 verses. And I shall start from verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and cover but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Quite a challenging read (laughs) this morning. Quite a challenging read. And I love kind of tackling these kind of scriptures because they're really important. And I've said before, when when I started looking at the book of James, it's really important for us Um, to tackle uh, some of these difficult passages. I've always said it, and I will always say it. Remember, context, context, context. James is writing to quite an early church, a young church, where there's a lot of fairly new converts. Um, Christianity is sweeping through that kind of region at the time. Um, Yes, there would have been quite a lot of maturing Christians, probably 10, 15 years. Uh, That's when he kind of is writing it just after um, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, But the church was still in its infancy. It's still quite young. Isn't it good to know that a mature church, like Billericay Baptist Church, doesn't have these problems? (laughs) If only. (laughs) We can see here from James that this early church has some issues, some deep issues. They're quarrelling, there's infighting, there's jealousy over what others have and the desire for these things seems to be driven by their passions and pleasures. The suggestion from James here is that there's some deep-rooted stuff going on. He isn't specific about what it is, Um, But there's a big mixture here of fresh new Christians that are Jews, Gentiles, men, women, slaves, servants, farm workers, owners of land. There's there's Romans. (laughs) Come on. There's a lot of people that all of a sudden, 20 years ago, were enemies and are now brought together in the name of Christ. But they're bringing a lot of the old stuff with them. Okay, They're all these Jesus followers and it's all kicking off. Uh, Verse 4 gives us a little bit of a clue um, where it actually says um, it's about the friendship with the world. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I believe that all throughout James' letter... What he's trying to do is is he's trying to tell these people that you can be in the world, but not of the world. You can be in the world, 
but not of the world. Not to live under um, some of the, the, the sinful ways, but to live under some of the rules, some of the codes that are still there, to be obedient in submission. And that's a word we can look at in a, a little bit later. Not to engage with the old ways, but live respectfully, turning from what you once were. And in chapter 4, it seems to be that there's a struggle to achieve this. It's because of that sin that entangles, it ensnares, and there are some serious fights going on. <laughs> Love to know what they were, <laughs> just to give us a bit of a heads up. Um, but it doesn't say exactly what the fights were. What's important to understand is, not, is James isn't blaming the world here. But he's blaming the condition of the heart of these young Christians. It's the condition of their hearts. That anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We have choice. They have choice. They choose to carry on with their old way, even though they want to carry on a new way with Jesus. So there is a choice. So we have a choice. We know the world is a dangerous place. We know there are lots of wonderful things in the world. The world is not completely evil. There's some great things in the world that we can look at the beauty and the majesty of it, and we can see where God moves in so much of the world. But for Christians, there are some real terrible dangers and temptations. And our Western world tempts us with a multitude of sinful pleasures. Our modern world is covered in it. So much more than I believe what would have been going on around 45, 50 AD. You know, they would have been certain things that we can still attain today, but today's pleasures compared to what they had to uh, deal with uh, are, are, are amazingly, yeah, too many. But with the heart conditioned to follow God, towards God, we can resist the devil. Um, in my assessment, and I might be completely wrong, <laughs> I think we've given way too much power to the devil. Way too much power. There's a devil, oh, there's a devil in that. Oh, that's evil, that is. Oh, oh there's, there's got to be something evil that Satan's doing there behind that. I've heard a lot of things said that give the devil way too much power. Don't get me wrong, I do believe that he is messing around with some stuff, but I also believe that actually sometimes that's just the way life is. Some people might have said, ah, what you went through, that's the enemy attacking you. It might have been. might just be the cancer grew in my leg. I don't know. I'm not going to go giving the power to the devil for this. What I'm going to do is give glory to God for the healing and the fact that I can stand here and walk around. That's what we need to remember. Not what the devil does, but what God can do over him. That's what we need to remember. Um, James says from verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a word here that makes you take some responsibility. Resist. 
Stop. No, you are not going to tempt me. It's not going to happen. No. But sometimes we're just like, oh, okay then. I know my weakness and this is what happens. Resist. Resist. But before you resist, what do you need to do? Submit. Submit to God. Submission seems like it's a word of weakness. If I submit to you in a fight or a wrestling match or whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm the weaker one of the two. Well, actually, yeah, we are the weaker one of the two between us and God. But if we submit to the King of Kings, our Father in heaven, he loves us as his children. What's he going to do? He backs us up. He's got our corner. <laughs> we do it on our own. We can't resist the devil enough. We might be able to do it for a short time. But ultimately, we will fail. That's why it says just before resist, submit yourselves to God. So much of what we do and what we get wrong is because we're not in submission to God in our daily lives. I think it's a key factor for us in living a life worthy of Jesus. But our problem is we want to be in control instead. It's a little bit easier when I'm driving the car than somebody else. My wife will constantly be slamming the middle brake on, imaginarily, because I'm not braking quick enough because of the cars that are braking a quarter of a mile ahead. <laughs> Slow down! Stop! <laughs> well, actually, I'm not going to well, compare my wife to God. It might be quite a good thing. But actually, sometimes that's what I need. <laughs> need someone to say, Gary, slow down. Stop. Or actually, right, you drive. <laughs> That's the key thing, isn't it? Let God drive. Not my wife. She is a good driver, though. Let's see if she watches this back later. <laughs> We've given a little bit too much to the devil, and instead we need to bring Jesus in as Lord of our lives. If we don't, ultimately we're giving the devil a foothold to be Lord of our life. That's what it comes down to. If we cannot submit, we cannot resist the devil. It's as simple as that. So how do we submit to God? Verse 8 onwards says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We need more and more, I believe, to draw closer to him as the world wants to draw us more and more away from him by giving us things to do. Binge watching Netflix. Guilty as charged. Just stuff that we can get involved with, that we just tend to forget drawing close to God on a daily basis. We need to get serious about our sin and repent. The grieving, the mourning, the wailing is all about that repentance. That's what it is. There's a breaking of the sinful heart. James is saying it's about the condition of the heart to these early Christians. That needs to be broken. That conditioning needs to be broken. But our hearts need to be broken. In verse 10, we need to humble ourselves. We can be too proud 
of who we are sometimes. As individuals, look what I've achieved. Wonderful, well done. Give glory to God. He's given you the ability to do that. Look at my wonderful family. Give glory to God that he's given you that wonderful family, that job, the church, our nation. Sometimes we can be a little bit too proud of who we are sometimes, thinking too much of our achievements and our triumphs, forgetting that it is God in whom we should be boasting in. It is God whom we should be boasting in. So if we do these things, what happens next? God will lift you up. Not us. Not us getting up off the floor when we're beaten and battered. It's God who scoops you up as a child and lifts you up. He will turn our sorrow into dancing, Psalm 30. Or our sorrow into joy, in John 16. Now you think that James is finished here with kind of his little rebuke and what you should do to come back to God and restore your heart. But he goes another step, and I think this is really important for us to take note of, um, as, as well as everything else that I've just shared this morning. From verse 11. Brothers and sisters, inversions, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now I've had some time to reflect on our church over the last few weeks in the context of James 4. Now I was joking a little bit earlier when I said about comparing us, obviously, hopefully you did get that and I don't get emails tomorrow morning. Um, I don't believe we've got any major quarrels going on in the church. I don't believe that we have, none that I'm aware of. There are some huge quarrels going on in the church nationally and globally. Huge fights that are going on right now. And there's always going to be the potential for something to spring up in our church. Always. The enemy is just walking around like a prowling lion, just waiting to see who he can devour which is why we need to submit to be humble as a church before God. I believe we have disagreements. Not everyone agrees with me. They're wrong. No, sorry. (laughs) But not everyone agrees with me. I don't agree with some of you on certain things, but that's okay. These aren't deep-seated quarrels, but they could have the potential to be if we allowed pride to get in the way. We can look to scripture to know that even the heroes of our faith had some disagreements. Paul strongly agreed with Peter over the issue of every man having to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. 
Barnabas and James were also caught up in this dispute. And you can read about that in Galatians 2 and Acts 15. As a guy, I think I would have been sweating a fair bit waiting for that decision to have come from the head council. What's going to happen, lads? (laughs) Paul and Barnabas were best buddies, but had a sharp disagreement and parted ways. Because Barnabas wanted to bring somebody with them who Paul disagreed with. By the way, they did reconcile a little bit later on. 2 Timothy Colossians strongly suggests that they they came together again and, and were reconciled. And this is where I want to bring kind of what I've been saying this morning to some conclusion. It's okay to disagree on something. I disagree with many people on many issues including theology, but remain good friends with them. I've got a mate of mine who's very liberal on the left, and I've got a mate who's very liberal on the right, sorry, not liberal, very strong on the right, and I'm somewhere in the middle, kind of like, lads, just... But we're all good mates. We're all good mates. Do you know what the common thing for all of us is? Star Wars. You thought I was going to say Jesus, didn't you? <laughs> but it is. We've all got a love and a passion for different things, for movies, for... for, for uh, some of us like, like a bit of whiskey, and, and, and so there's all these common kind of things. We can have disagreements theologically on stuff, but we're good mates. We're good friends. Now and again, it might get a little bit, no, 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 but yes, 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 and there, and it's just like, guys, it's okay, it's cool. And I love that. I love that. It doesn't always happen, I know that. It's key to remain good friends with people. It's key to remain good friends, especially in a church context of brothers and sisters. The key for me, if it goes too far and someone is so upset, just say sorry. Regardless of whether you're right or wrong. That's a principle I live by. Seek forgiveness. May not, you, you may not be to blame. Doesn't matter. Say sorry. I've been married far too long to know now when you're flogging a dead horse in an argument. Back down. Live in harmony as much as possible. That's what scripture tells us. Let me give you a, a quick example uh, that happened to me a few months ago. Um, I said something to a group of people, of which one was a Christian, the others weren't. What I said was a little bit jokey. I don't know if you noticed about that, I tend to do that now and again, say something a little bit jokey. Um, But I didn't read the atmosphere properly. (laughs) What I said caused quite a bit of discussion and upset. In another environment, it would have been fine. (laughs) It really would have been I'll get everything from my dad, by the way. If anybody really knows my dad, he's, his comedy's worse than mine. And, and that's where I get everything from. It's terrible. I'm just not blaming him for everything. This Christian was really sharp with me in front of everyone. To which I just said, bless you. That person then told me to pee off in front of everyone. I won't say who it is. I walked away. Simple thing, walk away, just walk away. 
I mused on this for a number of hours. I even messaged a few people I, I have counselled with to let them know this happened. And then they shared with me what they felt about that person, which wasn't flattering. In my head, I wrote many responses out in a text to them. Many responses. Deleting every single one. (laughs) And I finished with one. And I sent this. I'm really sorry if what I said today upset you. I had no intention of it causing such upset, said. The reply, probably about half an hour too long afterwards, I wanted an instant reply. (laughs) It's a little bit later, probably allowing them to muse, to think on it. The reply was that they were sorry too. Explained why they said what they did, and finished with love and man hugs. I could have ripped into this person. Absolutely ripped. How dare you have a go at me, a brother in Christ, in front of non-Christians in that way? How dare you? And also a leader of the church. One of the leaders... Of... I just stood down. When others texted me back and said, how did it go? I just replied that I'd said sorry and stepped down. And they went, brilliant. That's the best you could have done. And when I saw that person, it was love and man hugs and apologies. And it's fine. We let that go. I use it as an example, that's all. I don't harbour any bitterness or envy or anything else like that, annoyance. I'm not here to blow my own trumpet, but as a leader, I have to lead by example. I'm not always going to get it right, which is why I love you guys <laughs> to be able to say, Gary, I'm not too sure on that. I shouldn't have messaged the others about this person. I shouldn't have. And it's an issue I believe we have to be really careful with in church. James says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. I slandered this person in my message to these two other people. How dare they? Blah, 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 blah. I've got two other people thinking in a bad way about this person. Not right. We have to be really careful that if we have a dispute with someone, we don't go around the church sharing our indignation with what they've done to us or anything else. Even in a prayer thing. Please pray for me, because I've fallen out with so-and-so. That just goes round like gossip. It's prayerful intention, it's a right intention, but actually if there's an issue, what do we do? Matthew 18 gives us clear instruction. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Matthew's being specific here about sin and dealing with it on a one-to-one basis. James says you shouldn't judge a brother or sister based on slander or sharing your judgment on that person with others. 
Matthew's basing his statement uh, looking for a brother or sister um, and not to broadcast it across a gossip network. Gossip is an abomination, by the way. We have these hierarchy of sin, don't we? And we say that's, that's worse, that one, because that God says that's abhorrent, that's an abomination. That's the really bad one. Proverbs 6, gossip is an abomination. And we don't call out gossip, do we? In the way we're calling out other issues within church. Gossip is one of the worst. God knows why James is talking about it here. The emphasis here is if you have an issue with someone in the church, you need to go and reconcile with them one to one. Not bring a whole army of your mates with you. <laughs> it's not a playground. <laughs> Just go and do them over. <laughs> it's probably what was kind of happening in the early church, though. This is the crazy thing. It's not an easy thing to do, but this is where we have to swallow our pride and submit to God. He forgave us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. If we can't forgive them, it says in scripture, Jesus can't forgive us. That's scary stuff. That's scary stuff. If we've got unforgiveness in our hearts... That's a passage of scripture that's a little bit scary. Matthew goes on to say, if, we do, if it, the one-to-one doesn't go well, that's when you seek the counsel of others to help you. Specifically, I would say, leaders of church. Like, you know, but it might just be that there's a group that's got to go and deal with this. But that's where you have tried that one-to-one as much as possible. And I believe the longer we leave something undone, the harder it becomes to reconcile, which is, leads to quarrels and these fights. So we read this about the early church. It's a, it's a real warning sign for us. I think we're doing all right. <laughs> but it's a real warning sign for us that it could go pear-shaped quite quickly. So the key thing is, here. We're never far away from being like this early church in their quarrelling. Unfortunately, we see too much discord within churches um, nationally on some of the things that are going on. James instructs us to do these things. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I've added that one in. Forgive. Say sorry. I'm going to pray and then we're going to have just a time of reflection as Joan plays some music. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this letter from James. And Father, would you help each one of us with our hearts, with issues of pride, individually and corporately, 
Father, may we humble ourselves in submission to you. May we draw close to you more and more each day. So that when things come against us, we are so like Jesus that we react as Jesus did. With love and compassion. Father, would you grow in us a character that is worthy of being a child of God. And Father, may we forgive. May we forgive those who have sinned against us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.